Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 115 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we posed the question, is there now a global aspect to legal technology decisions? I think it was one of our best podcast conversations, and we touched on a lot of issues that I think will become even more important in the next few years. This episode, we get back to basics and focus on one of the hottest topics in tech, new iPads. We also wanted to remind you that we are looking for your legal tech questions for our end of year question and answer show and another special show coming. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we'll be talking about uh, the two new iPad models that just hit the market and uh, how they reflect what Apple has learned about the way we use tablet computers. In our second segment, we'll talk about the recent AmLaw tech survey. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topics, and that's uh, the new iPad. A few months ago, we did at least one podcast on some of the new gadgets that were coming out and were set to roll out for the holidays, but we couldn't talk about the iPads. They were conspicuously left off the list because we didn't really know much about what was coming out. But in the past month, Apple uh, has rolled out not one, but two new iPads, and I happen to think personally they're the best tablets yet. Dennis, what do you think of your own new iPads? Very funny, Tom. I guess the package with your Christmas presents for me hasn't arrived yet. What? It hasn't? You know, the iPads are big news. I sort of feel like I'm sitting on the sidelines for this one because I'm not really looking at buying another one. I may reconsider that before the end of the year or early next year, but I sort of feel like I'm a little bit on the sidelines. And I know that you were, as I recall, when I talked to you a while back, it almost seems like you camped out overnight in order to get them on, on the first day. <laughs> but I know that you have both of them, which is just in time, I suppose, for uh, either a new edition of your iPad book. Well, and that's part of the general idea is that we definitely want to throw out a new edition of the uh, iPad in one hour for lawyers book to reflect the updates in not only the new iPads, but also the updates to iOS 7. And so um, I sort of justify the purchase of both of these iPads on the writing of the book, but I'm also teaching on the iPad. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's kind of tough to be able to go up on stage and, uh, and teach about an iPad without having the latest. It was funny because I bought the iPad Air and immediately went to go speak at a conference and I was so pleased I thought I was going to be the only one to have an iPad Air there and kind of show it around and it turned out that every other single person on the stage with me had already bought their own iPad Air as well so I was just one among many but I will say that I think they are both really fantastic devices Dennis do you want me to start kind of describing them or how do you want to how do you want to handle this I do like all the rationales you have but I sort of suspect you it was time for you to try some new stuff as well. But yeah, why don't you start us off because you have the hands-on experience. And I guess there are two of you might describe them briefly and then uh, maybe we'll start with the iPad Air. 
Yeah, let's start with the Air. It's the one that came out first. And the iPad Air, to me, seems a little bit like the buzz around the MacBook Air that when it came out a number of years ago, is that it's essentially just a lighter version of the original iPad. It's essentially taking the iPad Mini from last year and expanding it. Uh, as one article that I read, it was a, as if uh, the people at Apple did a pinch zoom and expanded the iPad Mini to a larger device. It's a half pound lighter. It's a 0.07 inches thinner than the last model. Uh, will you think that it's truly light? Probably not light, but definitely lighter. It's not feather light, but it definitely makes a difference. I think they've altered the form factor so that even though it's not a huge amount lighter, it's still very noticeable. I think What's the most noticeable, though, is the speed. It now has an A7 processor, which is the same type processor you're going to find in your desktop or laptop computer, uh, which is to say that the new iPads are, I think, very, very fast. The battery is smaller, but battery life has not suffered. It's still around 10 hours per charge. One thing that neither of these iPads have is the new touch sensor ID that you will find on the iPhone. Not sure why that is. I don't miss it personally. Uh, I don't know about you, Dennis. It doesn't bother me so much because that wasn't a matter for me on the iPhone. The software, I think it's what's very interesting about this rollout is, is that all purchasers of the new iPads will get a free entire suite of both the iWork and iLife suites. So that gives you pages, numbers, Keynote, GarageBand, iMovie, iPhoto for free. You get a little box that pops up the second that you open up the App Store and it offers to download all of them at once for free, which I think is pretty cool. The Air comes in sizes from 16 gigabytes to 128 gigabytes. It starts at $499 all the way up to a pretty astounding $929 for the fully loaded 128 gigabyte iPad that also has a 4G or maybe that's LTE connection. I won't spend too much time talking about the, the Retina iPad because there's not much to talk about. It's functionally identical to the iPad Air. It was rolled out very quietly though uh, with not a whole lot of announcements or fanfare. I think that some speculate that's because there's a shortage of the Retina display screens and so they're thinking that the supply may be limited a bit for the near term. For those of you who are already owning and using a Mini, this is the one you probably should have gotten last time if it had existed. Just the addition of Retina Display now really makes it the equal of any iPad that's out there. It, like I said, it's functionally identical. Same A7 processor, same resolution, same everything. I think the only story that I've seen is that there have been some complaints about the iPad Mini coming in last in some tests about being able to distinguish between certain types of colors. If you're a professional photographer and you need to be able to distinguish between certain colors, that may make a difference, but I haven't noticed anything so far. I really like it. So very briefly, the iPad mini also comes from a 16 gigabyte to a 128 gigabyte capacity. Um, it's $100 less for each model than the iPad Air. So that's uh, $399 all the way up to $829, depending on uh, which size and flavor of the iPad you want. So I guess that leaves the question, since they're really two versions of the same device, just two different sizes, is which one is right? Which one do you want? Which size fits you best? So maybe that's where we uh, we talk about this best is, is which makes sense for lawyers in this case, Dennis? 
Well, I want to go back and have a couple of questions for you as a regular iPad mini user and iPad 2 sort of non-user at this point, although there's one around the house that my wife and daughter occasionally use. I think that the iWork software package for free is those apps, I think that's a pretty big deal. And I think that sort of points a way to just like the basic software coming free on computers, maybe that's a trend we're starting to see a little bit. I mean, it's a great trend, but it's kind of interesting that those sort of the office, the work type apps coming for free, I think that's pretty cool. It seems to me that iPad Air, from what I hear, it's a great example of where if you look at specs, it doesn't seem like there's necessarily a huge change but in terms of what people are talking about, it's sort of like you've bumped over the line so that when I use the regular iPad, it's, it seems too big. It's a little bit too heavy. But people are talking about the change, just the shaving down of weight is really a tremendous difference. It's sort of like there was a line where it's too heavy and where it's just right. And, and Apple's kind of got to that line where people are happy with the size of it and the weight then I think it does sort of come down to, I, I really like the smaller size. I know that other people like a bigger screen, and I, I think that's really where the choice gets made. For me, I'd be interested in trying the iPad Air, but I think I would tend toward the Mini. But my question as a Mini owner who might upgrade is, how much difference to you, Tom, does that Retina display make on a Mini? You know, it's funny because I'm probably not a good person to ask that question because I don't think my eye is that discerning. I don't think it's that good. I, I've read several reviews where people have talked about comparing their Retina Display Mini with the older iPad Mini and believing that the older iPad Mini now looks like it has a layer of dust or grime on it. The difference is that significant. It's not that significant as far as I'm concerned. I pulled up some pictures and, yep, I think that the picture on the Retina Display looks a little clearer, a little sharper. You see the colors a little more vividly. But I will say that for me, for someone who is not the best judge of that, I would say that I don't notice a lot. Now, I will say that when I got my iPad mini a year ago and I compared it to my Retina Display iPad, I didn't notice a lot of difference then either. So for me, the main benefit of the new iPad is the speed. It's the speed and also the fact that I actually was bumping up against the top of my 64 gigabyte limit and uh, I'm glad to have the 128 gig now to store more things on. Um, so for me, uh, speed and capacity were more important than the retina display. Okay, so let's talk about choosing. To me, it sort of comes down to, do you want a bigger screen or not? And that's almost the main consideration, although we can obviously go into some depth on that. But you present to a lot of people, you're going to write about this. I mean, what at this point, I know it's fairly early on, what are you going to tell people about choosing between the two? Well, I think there's actually two questions. I think you're right. If someone is already committed to purchasing the newest iPad, either an Air or a Mini, that is the main question, size of the screen. But I think, and, and let's address the second question second, which is, what if I'm upgrading? When does it make sense to upgrade? I have an iPad 3 or 4 or 1 or 2. Which one does it make the most sense to upgrade from? But Addressing your first question, the larger screen, to me this comes down to 
What do you plan to do with your iPad? In my opinion, based on using both of these devices, if you want to be really productive and create content and create documents, I think the regular iPad Air, the larger device, really makes the most sense. In fact, if you're a litigator, I still think the larger iPad is best for your practice. I know some friends who are out there and they they speak on the iPad all the time. I think at least one of them would disagree, but I think when you're in court, you really want as much real estate as possible to uh, take notes, view documents, use trial presentation tools. On the smaller screen, it's just too small. You don't need to run the risk of pressing the wrong button because the screen is too small. I really think getting the bigger screen. If you're a content consumer, if you like to read magazines, if you like to read books, if you're just consuming the news or looking at things on the iPad, definitely the iPad mini makes sense. I tend with my iPad use to be more of a consumer than a creator on the iPad. And so for me, I tend to use the mini a lot more often than the iPad iPad. I will say, though, that I'd started using the larger iPad for more things just because of the form factor, just because it's a little bit lighter now. But I really think it depends on what use you want to make of the iPad. So, you know, covering that first question, how do you answer it, Dennis? And then we'll cover the second question. Well, I sort of look at I mean, a couple things. So when I got the iPad mini, I looked at it as a replacement for the uh, the Kindle I had. So I like the smaller size to read. I saw it as a travel thing. I don't use the iPad probably in the same way that a lot of lawyers would. So it's more of a personal device. So the smallness is what appeals to me. And I, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Katie Floyd of the Mac Power Users podcast. And she was giving the example of how she has the new iPad mini and she needed to go to a meeting and she was going to go to the uh, supply room at her law firm and grab a legal pad to go to the meeting. And then she said, what am I thinking? I have this new iPad mini. And she said she just threw it in her purse. And that was like the first time she ever sort of had that experience of just throwing it in her purse. And she went there and she was able to take notes and do the things that you do with the iPad mini. So I, I think that, that the smallest to me sort of makes it the sort of thing I, like I'll just kind of throw in a bag and take with me or travel or that sort of thing. The bigger iPad seems like it's more of a commitment. And if I'm working on a project, it's almost like I can see if I'm in court, I would go the bigger one totally. But if I'm traveling, that little bit of, you know, taking up less space and less weight, I think is appealing. And we talked about this in connection with the phones as well. I just sort of prefer the smaller devices these days. In fact, my competition on what iPad to get is really whether I want to go down to the 11-inch MacBook Air, which might be the right device for me. I'm not sure. I don't disagree with any of that. I think that that's generally true. I would love to use the mini as a notepad. I just have bad luck writing. I'm just not a very good writer. And I've actually started using a notebook instead. I mean, actually a real paper notebook uh, to take notes kind of digressed in that area. But so let's let's real quick answer the second question, because I get asked this a lot. I have an iPad one, I have an iPad two, three or four. Does it make sense for me to upgrade at this time? If you have an iPad one or two, it makes tremendous sense to upgrade at this time, especially if you have an iPad 1. You know, it's interesting that Apple still continues to sell the iPad 2 over just about anything else, but I think that if you have an iPad 1 or 2, it definitely makes sense to upgrade. Um, You're going to see a noticeable difference in the functionality, definitely the weight. It's just a much better device than it was before. 
if you bought an iPad 3 or the fourth generation iPad um, within the past year to year and a half, it's a harder argument to make. It really depends. Do you want something faster? Do you want to have bigger capacity? Do you want to have a slightly lighter device than what you had before because you will get something lighter? It tends to be whether or not you want to make that different change and have those differences because frankly in terms of functionality, you can probably get away with using the 3 and 4 for uh, for a while longer. It's harder to make the argument that you definitely should upgrade, but I always opt for the upgrade because you're getting a better device. It's just the new iPads are simply better devices than the iPads that we had before. My thought would be that if you have... And again, I haven't had the hands-on that, that you have, but my thought is on the the iPad Mini, because it's perfectly legible, the one I have, I don't know that that's as compelling. I mean, it is you know more power, and it is that time of year when you're looking to buy things for yourself. So that's an aspect of it. I sort of think, you know, based on the buzz that I'm hearing, that the, the move to that iPad Air, with it being uh, lighter as well as more powerful, might be the more compelling thing. And then I think it does come down to sort of my usual refrain time of what's the job to be done? What are you hiring the iPad to do? And and that sort of helps. And that's for me, for what I want a tablet device for, the iPad mini makes perfect sense. But if I were doing something different, I would probably go the other direction. And maybe as we head out of this segment, Tom, I was thinking about if there's a comment to be made about lawyers in general. And, and the reason that I asked this is I've had several people say to me lately that they feel that the Windows Surface tablet is the perfect device for lawyers because it runs Microsoft Office. And that's not compelling to me, but it's interesting that people whose opinion I value have started to say this. And I always go back to, like I said, the job to be done notion to say, well, am I really going to be using Office? And do I want a keyboard that, you know, detaches or sort of comes with it? Or do I just want the Slate tablet like I have with an iPad mini? And I come down on the side of the iPad. But are you getting any sense out there that some of the other devices make sense for lawyers or that one or the other of these makes sense for lawyers? Well, I definitely think that, like you say, it's a job-to-be-done question. I have many times wondered whether I should move to a Surface because I do live in the world of Microsoft for my work. I work frequently in all of the Microsoft applications, and moving to something like the Surface would make a lot more sense. And some of my friends who have talked about using the Surface will say that you can install just about any other application you want on a, uh, a Surface, any software that you can run on your PC will run on a Surface. But to me, that's not compelling because at least for many lawyers, I know that they hate their PCs. They hate working in Windows. There's this general frustration uh, with working on a PC all the time. And by contrast, working on an iPad tends to be more of a pleasure. You know, I hate to beat a dead horse by saying this comment, but it just works. And because it just works, I find that it appeals more to lawyers than something like the Surface. Clearly, 
The Surface is going to be great as a productivity tool. It's going to be, I think, a better tool than the iPad. You, you talk about releasing the iWork suite, uh, Pages, Numbers, Keynote. They're all great tools, but I think on the iPad, they're basic. They're very basic tools, and I would much prefer to use the versions that I would have on my Mac if I had to have that choice. But when it all is said and done, I think that still the iPad as a tablet just makes more sense for the larger population of lawyers just because it can get the job done, it can get things done that most lawyers need, and it can do it in a way that is easy and intuitive to use and to learn. Um, It doesn't take a lot of education to do it. It's just something that they can start using and be good at right out of the box. And I think that for me, it's also when I saw a Surface and somebody was showing me and you go like, well, there's a keyboard and there's a Steam and there's the pad itself or the Surface tablet itself going like, wow, that's cool. And then you start to say, well, then I got to carry there's sort of like three parts of it and it seems more complicated. Why can't I just like have a laptop for when I need a laptop and an iPad for when, when I need a tablet? It's not that big a deal. And as you know, with a MacBook Air and an iPad mini, I mean, that's going to weigh less than most uh, laptops do. So that laptop and tablet approach may become more common. Let's take us out of, out of this one, Tom. My big prediction on the new iPads is that uh, they generate a new edition of your iPad for Lawyers books. How do you think I'll do on that prediction? I think that you will probably be 100% uh, accurate on that prediction. I'm actually working on the update now. Uh, the goal is to get the update out in time for ABA Tech Show in March. So be looking forward if you uh, are interested in the book or if you know someone who is getting a new iPad, the book will be out soon. So uh, hopefully uh, y'all can wait around and purchase a copy of that. Now, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now, let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. A few episodes ago, we talked about two important annual legal technology surveys, the ABA and the Inside Legal ILTA survey. We recently got or saw a summary of the results from another important tech survey of big law firms. That's the AMLA tech survey, which comes out a little bit later in, in the year than the other two. We wanted to highlight it and point people to it and discuss if there's anything else in there that might tell us about the current state of legal technology. First, though, Tom, since we are right at the 50th anniversary of the JFK assassination, I thought we should let you tell your cool story about your dad's involvement in the story on that day. Well, even though this is as far from technology as we can get, I appreciate that opportunity, Dennis. And I think he's referring to what I posted on Facebook. I had mentioned that uh, although I was not born as of the date of the Kennedy assassination, I decided to appropriate my father's memory of that day. As you know, I live in Dallas, and my father was working for the U.S. Attorney's Office at the time. And unlike all of the other members of the office who were sitting there waiting, I believe it was at the World Trade Center, wherever Kennedy was going for a lunch 
attention. My father had just gotten back from playing handball and was in his office when uh, the phone rang somewhere in the office and uh, the call came out for a copy of the presidential oath of office. One of the federal judges, Judge Sarah T. Hughes, her office was having trouble locating a presidential oath of office and it was tasked to my father to find the presidential oath of office, which I would not have known just out the top of my head. I would not have thought to look in the Constitution for the oath of office, but that indeed is where it is. He was able to to locate that oath and provide it to the judge, who was actually the one that you see in the photo there, who swore in uh, Lyndon Johnson on the plane later that day. So uh, my dad was uh, a little bit involved there. It was an interesting uh, interesting involvement. He has really some some strong feelings about that day. It, it leaves a, a very much lasting imprint on your memory, but very interesting uh, involvement for my family. That's a great story, Tom. But how about that Amlaw Tech survey? It's hard to follow up your story, but anything in there kind of move you to make any comments or is it just kind of validate what we've seen in the other surveys this year? Well, and we couldn't swing more wildly to another topic. <laughs> but I think my basic answer is no. We'll provide a link to the survey results. Uh, you can purchase the full survey results for what I would imagine is a, a nice hefty fee, but you could see the basic answers online. And I will say, I don't know about you, but I didn't really see anything that was surprising. Budgets are going up a little. Most budgets are still constrained by staffing levels. Firms are starting to embrace the cloud, but they're worried about security. I think probably for me, the most interesting statistic was in uh, terms of mobile, where they said that uh, I think it was 100% of the firms um, are allowed the respondents are allowing people to use uh, iPhones in the firm, followed very closely by 96% using Blackberries. And what was interesting about that was that the other question that said that 71% of the respondents expect a decrease in Blackberry use over the next year. So uh, uh, even though it's 96% this year, I will be interested to see what it is next year. But I have to say that there really wasn't anything in these survey responses that was surprising or interesting to me, frankly. Dennis, what about you? Well, I mean, I think that in general, I tend to agree. It's sort of, there's nuance in here. It's kind of interesting. I mean, you sort of notice that less than half of the top 200 firms responded. So you want to take that into account. I think some of the stuff is interesting if you read closely. So there is this big focus on security, but what you see is that clients are starting to drive that. And that's, I think, is uh, the impact of what we've talked about before of the concern that the law firms of big corporate clients are seen as the weak link in getting information and, and where the potential security issues are. There's there's also this weird schizophrenia that we saw in, in some of the other surveys that is almost like the thing you're pointing out with the Blackberries and iPhones where there's talk about going slow on things, but then as you see that there's just mixed environments, but the, the firms say they're against a mixed environment. And there's uh, so some of the stuff about tablets was kind of interesting that there's actually to me a fairly small percentage of, of firms that are laptop only that surprised me but some are looking at desktop and tablet and only a few are looking at laptop and tablet which to me sort of seems seems like the way to go and then then also I'd, I'm just not at all surprised by this such a strong reservation to going to new versions of the the program so no almost no interest in Windows 8 no talk about moving to new versions of office and that's why to go back 
to the surface and saying, oh, this would be a great platform for lawyers because you could put Office on there. To me, it's sort of like, well, but then you would probably be running a newer versions of Office than what you're using uh, on your regular computer. So that you know, causes a, a weird disconnect. But, you know, overall, I think it validates or confirms some of the things we saw in, in the other surveys. But it's a, there is a good summary available on the American Lawyers website, and it's definitely worth seeing. And, and I guess, Tom, I don't, I don't know the answer to this. You may, you may know this, but I think that the sort of summary report from the ABA's tech survey is either out or about to come out. Well, I think that's right. I think the summary is coming out, but I think also, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Dennis, because I'm getting caught off guard on this, but I think that what users can see is that there's going to be some individual tech reports written by some of the, the members of the Legal Technology Research Center on the different topics that are presented in the LTRC survey and what those uh, survey results mean and kind of uh, apply a little bit of, of expertise and experience to what the survey results say and to kind of look at trends in technology. I think that some of those are going to be free to uh, law practice division members, maybe free to ABA members. I'm not sure how that's going to work, but I think that's going to be an interesting little offering that the LTRC is going to be delivering in the next, I think, couple of weeks or months. I'm not sure when that's coming out. Yeah, it's sort of since we both wrote part of that, it's like we know what's coming out. We just don't know exactly when I thought it was, uh, but I think it's, it's going to be very soon. But now it's time for our parting shots, Tom. That one tip, website, or observation, you can use a second as podcast ends. Take it away. So uh, if you're not familiar with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, their tagline is Defending Your Rights in the Digital World. They have a project called the Who Has Your Back Project, which is which companies help protect your data from the government. And if you go to the EFF website, they will show you uh, the major companies, Amazon, Apple, AT&T, Dropbox, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, all of them, and how they are in terms of uh, whether they require a warrant, whether they tell the user uh, users about government data, request, whether they publish transparency reports, uh, how do they fight for users' privacy rights, those sorts of things. They also published a report on which companies are encrypting your data properly. And what was interesting to me, and and sort of jaw-droppingly interesting, is is that given all of the criticism that Dropbox receives over its security, it actually received, I would call it, highest marks. Uh, Got five out of the five best practices for encryption, along with I think Google, uh, Spider Oak, another cloud service, and a company called Sonic.net. It's an interesting to see how some of these companies do with their encryption and uh, whether or not they are protecting your data. So uh, we'll post a link to the Electronic Frontier Foundation page and then also the encryption results, which are on the Gizmodo site. Dennis? Well, I usually don't like to mention a resource that's really, really brand new because sometimes it starts out with the bang and then, you know, they don't do anything for a while. But I really like this new podcast called the Ladies in Tech podcast, ladiesintech.com. You know, the intent of of the podcast and the site is, is pretty obvious, but they have two episodes that have come out. I really like the hosts. They're sort of 15-minute podcasts, which Tom and I probably can chuckle at because that was probably the goal of, of our <laughs> podcast at the beginning. But the theme they're doing is, is uh, sort of 
what odd things have happened or what was it sort of almost like what is the strangest things that happened to you while presenting and the idea is kind of to share ideas and information and resources for women who speak on technology and the first two are great i really like them and so they're they're funny and they're practical and it's a great topic if you speak and we haven't done a podcast on presentations in in a while and to do something along those lines because i know that we have all kinds of stories of of wacky things have happened to us. And one of the wackiest for me actually involves you because you got me out of the problem I was having at the time. So the Ladies in Tech podcast, I hope they keep it going because it looks like it could be a really fun and informative podcast. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can get to the archives of all our previous podcasts in both places as well. For our end-of-the-year podcast coming up in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing two here where we need your help. We're doing a conundrums podcast featuring the confusing, difficult, and seemingly unanswerable questions we encounter with technology. Then we'll be doing a year-end Q&A show in the next few weeks. Uh, So if you have a technology conundrum that's been bothering you or a question that you want answered, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So until the next podcast... I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating or reviewing the podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.